Hey there, welcome to the House Podcast. We hope that today's message challenges you in the best ways. Remember to reach out to us anytime, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Hey, it's good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, Yes, we uh, have been off for a couple of weeks, and uh, a few weeks ago, three weeks now, uh, welcomed our second son, Moses, to our family. Uh, Thank you to those who uh, reached out, texted, emailed, dropped meals off, all of that kind of thing, very significant for us, and we really feel uh, appreciated and loved, and so just want to say thank you before we go further. and if I do look more tired than normal, it's because I am. So um, we'll, just, we'll just call it what it is. Um, last week, Matt spoke on uh, this theme of kind of friendship and isolation. And, um, you know, we're kind of right in the middle of series right now. So there's, there's no kind of particular theme that we're, we're touching on. But last week, Matt spoke on this theme of friendship and isolation and kind of the, the growing need for friendship, uh, given where our culture is kind of going. And um, it got me thinking a little bit about some of the trends and the shifts in culture that we have experienced um, in the last few years for sure, but also even beyond that in the last decade or so. And I like uh, thinking about those kinds of things, those kind of big picture trends, where our culture is kind of going, what are some of the shifts that are taking place sort of beneath our feet? Because sometimes we don't even recognize they're happening. Sometimes they're slow Uh, And there's kind of these cultural shifts happening beneath our feet. But then we kind of wake up one day and go, man, how did we get here? And uh, I think it's important for us to sort of look at that. What What are the shifts taking place that we need to be aware of as followers of Jesus? And so... Um, this morning is that. I'm not preaching from a particular text of scripture or a theme of scripture per se, though I do think that looking at our culture from a critical view is a biblical idea. But I don't have a theme or a text for you today, and so I'm sorry if that really disappoints you. I'm preemptively apologizing, and I will do better next time. But I do want to look at some of the shifts that we're experiencing in our culture and what it means for us as followers of Jesus. Um, beyond just kind of new words like social distancing or Zoom fatigue or whatever else you might come up with, what are the the shifts taking place? There's three I want to highlight this morning that we ought to not only be aware of but think carefully about as we follow Jesus. The first is a shift from society to self. Crisis is a bit of an accelerator for trends. Crisis seems to have a way of accelerating things that are already going in one direction. And this first shift is more like an acceleration of a trend that already existed before the pandemic, but was accelerated during the pandemic. Um, In many parts of the world, there are collectivist cultures. Matt talked about this last week. There are cultures where kind of the needs and values and desires of a group are upheld above the needs and values and and desires of an individual, where uh, kind of the community's needs, the community's goals, the community's values are upheld at times above the individual, where they come first. And this isn't news to anyone. But that is not our culture. (laughs) We live in an individualistic culture where the needs and values and desires of the individual are upheld quite often above the group. Uh, And this isn't even a critique, but our culture has kind of gone 
rampant with this idea of individualism. Many people calling it hyper-individualism, where now it's not just that my desires and needs and wants are important, but they're kind of like everything. They're all important. They're all encompassing. They're not just one part of my life or identity. They're kind of my whole life and identity. And this shift has been accelerated in the last few years with the pandemic. We became a little more insulated in the pandemic, didn't we? Like you felt that, where we just kind of stopped rubbing shoulders with people, you know, both metaphorically and literally. Like we stopped seeing people as much. We stopped bumping into our neighbors or our friends or our families. We stopped kind of, uh, you know, bumping into the variety of people in the, in the grocery store or on the street or at work. Our lives became more narrow and our focus slowly shifted away from the flourishing of our society to the flourishing self, to me and my desires and needs. In a hyper-individualistic, consumer-oriented society like ours that lives by this mantra, you do you, and that values tolerance and self-care above almost everything else, there's just been this massive acceleration of me and my needs and desires being put at the forefront of reality. The easy examples of this are you know, the, the panic buying of toilet paper, like the person who stocks up with like way too much in the middle of the pandemic, or the local story of the person who went to the grocery store and didn't just buy a little bit of extra meat for their freezer. They bought the entire meat aisle in the grocery store before anyone else had a say in it. But this naturally trickled down into a number of areas. Um, Youth sports have struggled to find coaches and volunteers. Food banks have struggled to keep up with the needs. Um, Charitable giving has decreased. Nonprofit volunteers have uh, vanished, including in, in many cases ours and in churches. In fact, in churches everywhere, even churches that closed for just a few weeks in the States and elsewhere, Um, There's just kind of like a volunteer crisis where volunteers just vanish in in huge numbers. Despite our best, most compelling pitches to, to, you know, serve and give back and be part of something bigger than yourself, there was just kind of a collective, like, shoulder shrug, like, oh, maybe, maybe next time, next year, next decade. In general, people have become less inclined to commit to anything on a regular basis, choosing instead to keep our options open in case something better comes up or in case we just don't feel like going to church or community group or serving on a Sunday. All of this, kind of the acceleration of a trend that already existed before the pandemic, away from our flourishing to my flourishing, away from the the, the betterment of us, of we, of a community, to me and the individual, myself. So what does it mean for us today and how we follow Jesus? I am not suggesting we like, you know, pool all our resources and go to Joe Rich and buy a farm and get a big house together. Um, I like you guys, but not that much, okay? And you probably feel the same way about me, and that's great. There, maybe there is a practical step for you that you feel like, maybe I do actually need to just give more of my time or um, volunteer at a, at a nonprofit or volunteer somewhere downtown or uh, start giving and start tithing. That is great. Go and do that thing. That's amazing. But I do think the solution is bigger than just adding something to your life. It requires, I think, a shift for us in our priorities. 
Jesus invites us to look beyond the horizons of our own desires, of our own lives. He invites us to look beyond just our desires. Following Jesus is not just a self-help project to get what we want in life. And it's not that our needs and desires aren't important. It's just that they're not all important. They're not all encompassing. The Christian life has to move outward beyond me and my desires and my idea of what life should and could look like. To follow Jesus is to face outward and ask the question, how can I participate in bringing healing and justice and peace and order to the world around me? How can I bring something to the world around me? Or in the words of Jesus, how do I love my neighbor as myself? Jesus invites us to consider others' needs as our own needs and then promises that the way we do that is how people recognize we follow him, saying, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Central to our faith is self-sacrifice, not self-interest, a commitment to our flourishing not just my flourishing, but it means prioritizing the needs of others just as we prioritize our own. It means when we lay down at night and think about all that we want in life, that other people find a place in that conversation. The second cultural shift we've experienced and are experiencing is a shift from technology that helps to technology that harms. Ben Sass, a Yale historian, believes that despite everyone talking about COVID or politics or the impact of all of these other kind of social issues that we're kind of facing in our day, that despite all of that, when history is being written on our time in a couple of hundred years, when people look back on this time, they won't be talking about the changes brought on by a pandemic, but the changes brought on by technology. It's hard to imagine a world before social media and YouTube and Facebook, isn't it? And yet... It had, yeah, it, it was there. Some of you can, maybe more than others. It wasn't that long ago. Um, Instagram has only been around for 13 years, Facebook for 19 years, and the first front facing cell phone camera, like a camera with phones on either, uh, a phone with camera on either side, came out only in 2012. Until then, you couldn't immediately see how you looked when you took a photo. Do you remember those days? Like, you took a photo and you were just kind of hoping you got in the shot. And like, you know, the dad would pull out like those microscopic selfie sticks like out of his pocket. And it was like, he saved the day. It was beautiful. We love that. Now you have, a you have a camera everywhere. We have instant access for the first time ever to see how we look at any given moment of the day. And so selfie culture has only been around for about a decade. The ability to just snap a selfie and see how I look. Up until very recently, though, technology has been this beautiful kind of opportuni opportunistic thing, right? Do you remember your first smartphone that you bought? Um, I was in my first year of college. I got an iPhone 3G, and I was actually late to the party, but it was like epic. It was life-altering, like this little device. I had a flip phone before that, and it's so funny how fast technology has advanced, but I remember my flip phone was so cool because, like, I could slide it. Remember that? Like, you could slide it and, like, turn it sideways, and you had, like, the keyboard, <laughs> the mini keyboard. That was cool uh, at one, you know, decade or another. 
Now we have a smartphone in every pocket and most wrists as well. We, have, uh, we are so connected with technology. But there was a beautiful kind of um, reality of technology in the smartphone that promised to make life easier, more efficient, uh, it promised to connect us more with one another. And in many ways it has done that. But just recently, the narrative has begun to shift a little bit away from a technology that helps to technology that has a detrimental effect on our well-being. In 2014, um, there was a Southern Baptist woman who was living in Texas who went from having zero interest in Islam in any way, the religion, to then six weeks later pledging allegiance to ISIS. You go like... How does that happen? But there was just this hyper-speed radicalization that happened with this woman as she found herself in a particular corner of the internet with particular views and particular voices speaking into her life that just so quickly changed the trajectory of her life and her beliefs. And I imagine you have a friend or a family member who's experienced maybe not something quite as dramatic, hopefully, but something along those lines where they found themselves in a particular corner of the internet listening to particular views and a particular kind of stream of thought or ideology and it radically changed the way they thought or lived or believed about a topic or many topics. There is just a like massive formative shift happening with technology. And one of the things we've learned is that the internet has a way of amplifying negative, harmful, and sometimes even extreme views or voices. Some of the most harmful effects being reported now are among the younger generation who are growing up with a device in their pocket from a very early age. Social psychologist Jonathan Haidt talks about how there has been this transition in the last 10 years away from a play-based childhood involving a lot of risky, unsupervised play which is essentially, says, for overcoming fear and fragility, to a phone-based childhood, which blocks normal human development by taking time away from sleep, play, and in-person socializing, and causes an extreme case of comparison, comparison uh, with friends and neighbors. A month ago, um, the CDC released a study which showed that most teen girls now, 57%, now say they experience persistent sadness or hopelessness, which is up from 36% just in 2011. 30% now of teen girls say they have seriously considered suicide, which is up from 19% in 2011. Again, just over a decade ago. There's a whole slew of other sad statistics trending in the wrong direction about men mental health and loneliness and any other given topic that often find uh, there, there's this massive uptick right around the advent of the smartphone and social media and all of us being connected all of the time. But it's tricky, right? Because on one hand, we have this whole new industry of digital media and online content creation, which we are a part of as a church. We're live streaming right now. But on the other hand, we have widespread addiction to our devices and those same platforms. On one hand, we have so much new information and content from all over the globe. But on the other hand, we have very little social agreement on any issues because all of us are getting our news sources from different places. On one hand, you can find an expert opinion on any topic at the press of a button. 
But on the other hand, we've become wary of experts because we know that there's a dissenting voice on the other side who's also an expert who would say something different at the press of a button. So we are more connected, but ironically, we're more divided. But it's safe to say that we will always push the boundaries of technology, this kind of new frontier. Whether it's the metaverse or artificial intelligence or the cloud or chat GPT, which like if you haven't tried, you got to try it. Um, it would like write this whole sermon in 10 seconds. It's, it's, it's crazy. Technology is advancing rapidly as we speak. And so again, what does this mean for us as we follow Jesus today? I'm not advocating that we go back to like a previous era of history, that we try to like, you know, go back to the good old glory days. Um, I am not the dad who's like, you know, back in my day, you know, we didn't have Uber. Uh, we had to walk to school in the snow, uphill both ways. Um, that's, that's what dads sound like. And it's always uphill both ways. Um, it's not about sticking our head in the sand and kind of pretending that the world we live in is not the world we live in. I think the invitation for us is actually quite simple. It's to be wise and discerning about how we engage with technology. I think about Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians. He says this, everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. There is a heightened level of discernment we need today. As, we, as our lives become more intertwined with technology, our discernment needs to increase as well. Not everything about technology is bad or harmful, but not everything about technology is good or beautiful. The challenge for us is to discern the difference between the two. Whether it's the shows we watch or the voices we allow to shape us, or just the amount of time we spend online connected in a virtual world, we need to be really thoughtful and wise about how we engage with technology. Because if we're not, this is an area, and you know this, this is an area of our lives that if you don't kind of um, temper it, it will, it will dominate your whole life. It has the ability to consume all of your time and attention if you let it. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And the last cultural shift we're experiencing is a shift from spiritual apathy to spiritual hunger. In the weeks following the terrorist attack of 9-11, there was a kind of an uptick in church attendance, not just in the States and not just in North America, but like across the globe as well. In a country like Australia, they noticed more people were coming to church all of a sudden. And it's almost as though like this safe, comfortable, secure bubble that we live in was burst for a moment. And people realized that they needed God. It was like their hunger for God was stirred just for a moment. By and large, if you look at both biblical history and church history, there is a trend that whenever people get comfortable, they tend to forget about God. Um, Whenever people get comfortable, they tend to forget about God. In fact, if you think about the story of the Bible, it's essentially that story. The people of God get comfortable. They forget about God. There's a crisis. They cry out for God. God rescues them. Repeat the cycle <laughs> again and again and again. And God is gracious to rescue us again and again and again. 
But by and large, we live in a, com- a culture of comfort, of abundance, of excess, of luxury, with unparalleled consumer choice. And the, bil- the ability to get what we want, when we want, how we want, as quick as we want. We have more freedom than any other generation. I can put on my Blundstone boots that are imported from Australia and hop in my you know, BMW car that I don't have that's imported from Germany and drive down to Bright Jenny and you know, get my $7 flat white from, with beans from Ethiopia and eat my chocolate croissant that's like $9 and like complain about how the, the atmosphere isn't quite what I want it to be. You know, like we have this ability to just get what we want, when we want, how we want. The challenge for the church in the West has been complacency and apathy, just a tendency to kind of carry on with our lives. What do you need God for? When you have the house that you want with the pool in the back and you've got food on the table and in the fridge and the freezer and in all of the multiple storage rooms that we have, just in case, what do you need God for? What do I need God for? But there's a shift happening A combination of the pandemic, inflation, the war in Ukraine, economic challenges, banks collapsing this week, a mental health crisis, and so much more has sort of burst our bubble a little bit. We're kind of waking up to the reality that maybe actually we do need something beyond ourselves. Though it's true that when people tend to get comfortable, they tend to forget about God, the opposite is also true. That when people are in crisis, they turn to God. Mark Sayers, an author and scholar, he says, crisis precedes renewal. As the world gets more unstable, more more uncertain, we begin to look for something more stable and certain. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a growing hunger for God, for something more, for something more substantial, particularly in the younger generation, in Gen Z. According to a recent Barna study, while Gen Z is the most unchurched generation, it's also the most open generation to spirituality. So the most unchurched and yet more open to spiritual things than any other generation. It's as though they're kind of seeing through the, the, the insignificance, the fragility of the systems that we've built our lives on, the, the comforts and the luxuries and all that kind of our culture promises to give us, all of the freedoms. And there's just kind of this growing discontent, like a desire for something more substantial. It's a growing discontent that is drawing people back to God, a shift from spiritual apathy to spiritual hunger. On February 8th, um, just a few days before the Super Bowl, um, where most North Americans, you know, take the afternoon off and put our feet up and watch grown men, like, violently tackle each other while we drink Budweiser. Um, Before that event, there was a small chapel service held at Asbury University in Kentucky. The chapel was attended by a handful of students and staff, some of whom were required to be there to get college credit. And after the service ended, a service that was kind of nonchalant, um, there was nothing particularly noteworthy about the chapel service. There was no epic, you know, worship band. Uh, The the message was decent. I actually watched it. Um, It was like, you know, you watch it and maybe you skip through a few parts if you're watching online, that kind of message. Like it, it was a normal chapel service. But after the service ended, 18 or 19 students lingered around a little bit after instead of going to class, continuing to pray and worship and confess their sin. 
And that worship service continued for two weeks straight with tens and tens and tens of thousands of people gathering to pray in this chapel, to worship, to confess their sin. There were no Christian celebrities. There were no overly dramatic preachers or impressive lights or media. There was no plan in place or scheduled revival event on the calendar. Just a group of Gen Z students hungering for the presence of God longing for an encounter with the living God. What started as a few students called the the Asbury outpouring now has since expanded across campuses with other universities reporting the same thing. Uh, An increased hunger, a longing for God's presence, particularly with the next generation. God is up to something. God is up to something. And could it be that despite all of the uncertainty in our world, that all of the challenges that you and I face that are real challenges, that there's also kind of a new openness, like there's a doorway, there's a a fresh openness to the presence of God. That as life gets a little less comfortable and predictable and safe and certain and secure, that God might be inviting us to hunger after his presence, to long for his presence, to move from spiritual apathy to spiritual hunger, right? It's easy to kind of look at what happened at Asbury as a spectator, watching from a distance, going like, man, that's cool, that that thing happened over there across the world. And maybe you say like, wouldn't it be cool if God did something here? Wouldn't it be cool if God did something closer to home? If only God would pour his spirit out here in a similar way. I'm not suggesting we try to like recreate something that's happening somewhere else. I'm not suggesting we try to like manufacture and get all the right pieces in place to manufacture a similar experience here as elsewhere. But there is a principle of renewal that Mark Sayers, again, puts his finger on so well, that corporate renewal always begins with personal renewal. That it never starts with a crowd. It never starts with the thousands. It always starts with the individual, with a few hungry, open hearts. We can't control what God does, but we can position ourselves for what God might want to do with a fresh openness to his presence. I want to want God more than I do. Do you know what I mean? I want to want God more than I do. I don't want to miss what God is doing here in our context, in our campus, in our church, in our city, in our community. I don't want to miss out on what the Spirit of God is doing or inviting us into because I was so focused on my career or my my very cool Okanagan lifestyle or my RRSPs or my, my future goals, my family. And so maybe the invitation for us this morning is just to say, God, would you start here with me, with my heart? Would you increase my hunger for you? Would you increase my longing, my appetite, my desire for you? Would you wake me up to the reality of your presence? Maybe for you that looks like waking up early to pray and to seek God or setting a reminder on your phone Maybe it looks like a renewed commitment to open scripture or to share your faith with that curious friend or coworker. I don't know what it looks like for you, but it begins here with our hearts. Open, humble, and hungry hearts for the presence of God. And so we're gonna pray to close and I wanna invite you to just kind of open up your heart. Uh, You know what that means. I know we use that language a lot, 
But you know what a closed heart feels like, right? A closed heart feels like, man, how do I get out of this church building as quick as possible and carry on with my life? <laughs> you know that feeling where you're like, please let there not be a worship song after this. I got to get out of here. But you know what a, a, an open heart feels like as well, a heart that just says, Lord, here I am. Have your way in me. Come, Holy Spirit, let it start with me here in my heart. It's a posture you have before the Lord. You say, wake me up to the reality of your presence. And so we're going to pray together, and I invite you to open your heart to say, wake me up, Lord, to the reality of your presence. Would you long for God more than you do already? So, Father, we come before you this morning with all of the shifts taking place beneath our feet, all of the, the challenges and the shifts going forward as we think about our culture, all the issues that we wrestle with, we talk about and we wrestle with in our mind and in conversation with people. But Lord, we just want to fix our eyes on you this morning. We want to hunger after your presence. We want to long for you. God, we want to, we want to want you more than we do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just increase our appetite for what you're doing in our own lives, in our families, in our friends, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work and study. Would you increase our appetite for what you want to do? Would you increase our hunger for the things of God, for the kingdom of God? Would you increase our hunger for you and your presence in our lives? And God, would it start here with me in my heart? Would it start here in our hearts? Would you wake us up to the reality of your presence? That we would long for you more than we do now. That you would move us from complacency and apathy to hungering and longing for more of you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with us, that you love us, that you're gracious and kind to visit us. So we bless each person in this room in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing together and just kind of continue to long for hunger after God as we respond in a song.